0: Blob Talk Radio Another day everybody, and welcome back to Riding the Wave. I'm Mark Healy, the editor-in-chief of the Wave newspaper, Rockaway's newspaper since 1893, another in our series of talking with candidates that are running for Queens District Attorney. Tiffany Caban, welcome to Riding the Wave.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be here.
0: Um, you know, obviously, you're getting the endorsement from the Congress member, Exalian, exali- 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 ex- Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Oh, live radio. Um, obviously, that was a huge boost to your campaign. Um, it really, I think, uh, just looking from the social media aspect of your campaign, uh, it gave it a tremendous boost. What did it mean to you personally?
1: Um, you know, it, it, it meant a couple of things on, on a couple of different levels. It, it was exciting for me personally just because you know being a a young Latino woman um, from a working class background and never really seeing folks who, who look like me or came from where I came from. Um not just running for office, but also winning, um, and not really seeing a, a space or a path for somebody like me in those kinds of spaces. very cool to to have that support. Um, but just on the level of the campaign and, and the movement that we're building, you know for me, it was more of an indication of of what we had built up to that point. Um, I, I think it shows just the strength of our grassroots organizing, you know, to get somebody, um, like her to jump in or, or Senator Ramos to, to jump in for example um, it, they don't do that without saying hey there's some significant community support there you know we're largely run by by volunteers who are very excited to, to get our messaging out um, and so I you know it just builds on that momentum
0: here locally uh, Rockaway revolution uh, which is a nonprofit that is very aligned with a lot of the progressive uh, you know, kind of items on your platform. Uh, they endorse you pretty early, I believe, in the process. Um, and you know, we, you know, we we've covered. You know, your you know, I think you did an event uh, earlier. Uh, I guess about I guess about a month ago, about six weeks ago. So we we were aware of your candidacy here at the Wave, and we, you know, are really glad that we got the opportunity for you to come in so that you can uh, discuss what it is that you you know, want to achieve, you know, by being the Queen's District Attorney. Um, I'll ask you the same question I've asked everyone else. A lot of the rhetoric, and in your case, most of the rhetoric, has been talking about reforming, you know, the criminal justice system. to car- I, I believe that you don't even want to be called a progressive anymore. I think you said something. Uh, you want to be a... Uh, say it. What's, uh, what's the term? I, I like to
1: talk about being a committed decarceral prosecutor. Right,
0: decarceral, right, uh, which is, of course, uh, about keeping as many people out of jail as possible. Now, I'm not saying that it's wrong, okay? What I'm saying is is that a lot of people, when they hear the word district attorney, mm-hmm. You know, they think of, and I even wrote an editorial about this, Um, they think of the old, you know, the law and order show, where the district attorney is, their job is to prosecute the criminals. Um, So I think that there is a lot of people that would admit, certainly, that maybe there is a lot of things to fix in the system, but are uncomfortable with the fact that a lot of the talk has been about letting people out of jail mm-hmm. rather than putting them in jail. So how would you, if you had to sell your candidacy or sell you, yourself mm-hmm. as someone to be the chief law enforcement officer of, of Queens, yeah. how, do you, how do you sell that to someone who likes the idea of law and order?
1: Sure. Um, I think of the job as the district attorney to achieve public safety, Right. And so what you want are public safety outcomes and justice, and that's not always synonymous with jail. In fact, in a lot of ways, there are ways to increase public safety without um, resorting to incarceration. What we find is that when you put somebody into a jail cell, right, 97, 98 percent of the time, they're going to reenter their communities, and largely they do so um, in a worse-off position than they were, kind of ensuring that they cycle right back into the system. And so we really should be focusing on what do we need to do to change behavior so that they're not continuing to hurt people, or others, or property, or whatever it might be, and saying that that's the goal. They're not, we're, just, we're not just punishing for the sake of punishing, um, but really prosecuting in a manner to change behavior. And then when we talk about getting people out of jail and, and keeping them rooted in their communities, we're talking about a lot of um, you know, public health issues that we punt to our criminal justice system. We often criminalize you know, mental health issues, substance use disorder, when we could be taking um, health approaches to those things to achieve public safety so that we can take the finite resources in our district attorney's office. I mean, there's an operating budget of, of over $60 million, but in a, a borough of you know two, over two million people, those are finite resources. And some of the areas where we're not having good enough results, for example, um, are, are rape cases. So in a lot of ways, crime is down in Queens, um, but we aren't resolving rape cases, and rape is, in fact, the reports are going up. Um, but it's a matter of reallocating resources and saying, well, where are we going to focus you know, one of the best examples I can give comes from my experiences as a public defender. When we prosecute, you know, um, low-level drug use of people who struggle with, with drug use rather than prosecuting doctors who over-prescribe opioids to large portions of people, right? It's about being more efficient with your prosecutorial power so that you're doing the best you can to increase public safety overall. When you criminalize somebody for homelessness but you don't prosecute landlords who unlawfully evict people, predatory lenders who are stealing people's homes, um, you know, those are, are, are things that we can and should be prosecuting um, with, with more focus and fervency.
0: I think that you know, um, sometimes that people don't look that deeply. And, and having the perspective of a public defender probably is uh, just as valuable as having prosecuted those kinds of cases. However, like yourself and like Melinda Katz and like Rory uh, Lansman, uh, you've never prosecuted a case. Mm-hmm. So some people would point to that as... You know, kind of, aren't you going to be learning on the job since a lot of what you're going to do, regardless of who you're prosecuting, regardless yeah. of who you're prosecuting, you're still going to have to do it for the first time. So some people would look to that and say, well, if you've never prosecuted a case, how can you run an office mm-hmm. that whose main responsibility is yeah. doing that?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I'd say a couple of things to that. Uh, when we talk about criminal justice reform and, and the way that we're seeing – Um, Our district attorney's offices around the country sort of rethink how we prosecute cases. You're seeing successes with folks who maybe haven't had that traditional experience. You just look to Larry Krasner in Philadelphia, who comes from a civil rights and a defense background, doing um, pretty good work in Philadelphia in terms of... Um, you know, getting good public safety outcomes, but also kind of reducing the, the gap in the disparities between the way that our criminal justice system has disproportionately impacted our black and brown and our low-income communities. Um, and then when we talk about these criminal justice reforms across the board that everybody sort of agrees on, right, these ideas around um, you know, different levels of changes with cash bail or discovery reform, or that we should be investing our communities and looking to alternatives to incarceration more often um, to stabilize people's lives, because in a lot of ways, stability equals public safety, um, then you sort of recognize that public defense experience is probably some of the most relevant experience. When, you're, when you say that your goals are to reduce recidivism when your goals are to keep people rooted in their communities with access to services so that they aren't harming themselves or other, when you're saying that you want to apply the law fairly across racial and class lines, these are the things that drive and have always driven public defenders um, since the inception of, of public defense work. Right, They're the things that we fought for on the front lines in court every day. They're the things that we continue to fight for in Alb- Albany every day. So, in a lot of ways, career prosecutors are just catching up on what, across the country, criminal justice reformers are agreeing is the direction we should be moving in. And the things public defenders have consistently been talking about um, because of our experiences and interactions with the communities that have been so directly impacted by the system.
0: One of the criticisms that I've heard about all of the candidates, not just you, uh, all of the candidates, it's almost as if um, this is the first time, you know, I, I believe in almost almost 30 decades, that there's going to be an election mm-hmm. uh, for a, a uh, Queens district attorney. But um, a lot of people have talked about um, the fact that a lot of this is very political as opposed to, you know, um, I don't know the word, but, but uh, it's more political than, than they would expect a district attorney's race to be what what do you um, why do you think that is
1: yeah you know, i don't so I don't know if I, I quite understand but I, I think the way that that I would kind of engage with it and approach it is um, it's an elected position right and for all of these years the majority of people don't even know that you vote for your district attorney and so a large portion of, of what this election and race has been about and what everybody has made some of what their candidacy has to be about is is informing people, first and foremost, that that you do this, that you vote for your DA, and then having conversations. And I don't think that you can – I don't know that I would would categorize it as sort of making it political. I think it's about kind of dissecting what our system – our criminal justice system does and what our prosecutor's office does, because in so many ways, you can't separate our justice system and our district attorney's offices from housing, from healthcare and education. So I think in some ways that engaging those conversations may make it seem political on its face, um, but when you really look at it, all of these things are so deeply intertwined in terms of what we allow into our criminal justice system, what our prosecutors can do to to be proactive and intervene before um, you know violence escalates or other crime escalates. Um, these areas, when we talk about what drives crime, it, it's these areas, destabilization in those areas. And so I think you have to have conversations about all these other issues to kind of sort through who do you want in the office being that chief law enforcement officer, being the person that you're entrusting with achieving public safety for you and your families and your communities. Uh, and you know, I just think it becomes part of this conversation because once you dive, once you go down that rabbit hole, you realize you can't get away from all of these things.
0: Our audience is obviously uh, Rockaway, right? It's the peninsula. Uh, that's who we speak to. You know, that's who our newspaper speaks to. That's who our podcast speaks to. Even though there's... I know for a fact that there's people from other boroughs, people from Manhattan uh, that listen to this show. Um, Our primary audience is Rockaway. So I I know for a fact that there you have a growing constituency uh, in Rockaway that like what Tiffany Caban has to say. And I think that... um, you have you you've sold them already. I mean, they're pretty much on board. Like I said, that the group Rocket League Revolution has supported you. I know that uh, you know there's a lot of other groups uh, that may not have endorsed you as a group, but I know their members have. Um, and I won't go through them because I'm not sure of them off the top of my head, and I want to make sure that I'm accurate because I believe in accuracy uh, is the most important thing. But how do you how do you counter just just for my own you know. Very unscientific polling. I know that Melinda Katz has a lot of support uh, in Rockaway, mm-hmm. and I know her campaign has thrown some shade your way about, you know, um, you know, the Queens County Bar Association qualifications and their ratings. I guess that came out last week. Um, how would you? How would you counter that? How would you? How would you communicate with? you know, that other part of Rockaway that seems to think that Melinda is the best person? Like, how would you say, well, maybe, you know, maybe so, but this is why I'm, I'm, I'm the best candidate?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, we spend so much of our time, and I spend a lot of my time just focusing on myself, my candidacy, what we're trying to, to accomplish as a growing movement, um, not so much focusing on what the other candidates are, are doing, per se, um, and I think that it's proven to to be a strong approach for us because what we're finding is literally the very folks that are saying, I'm the best person for the job, have moved their policy positions to be more in line with where we started on day one. And so I think that, that sort of speaks to um, the power of our policies, of our messaging, of our organizing. Um, so, you know... Uh, in, in in that respect, um, I don't really give a lot of weight to other folks saying, well, hey, I am, I am better. I'm doing this because I think that it feels important to uh, take the communities who have been disproportionately impacted by our justice system, who haven't really had a seat at the table, who have not typically been engaged and involved in these elections, um, and put them in a position to be at the table and be some of the driving decision makers. It, because of the idea that those who are directly impacted should be the ones informing policy. And I think that resonates with a lot of people. And so, you know, a race like this, when we have you know, not a lot of time to get out in front of a lot of people, it literally is just about getting in front of as many people as we can, because overwhelmingly when we sit down and have these conversations, um, people are incredibly receptive. Even folks that you, that maybe on, on the face, you, you would maybe make the like the, the conclusion, of, oh, well, I don't know if they're going to be about it. But when you start talking about hair, hey, goals are the same. We're just talking about public safety. And so often, we're not talking about good people and bad people. We're just talking about people. Um, and when you look at it that way, we can just be much more, again, uh, effective and fair in, in our approaches.
0: I think that um, I will say... As, as you know, we're, we're having a conversation for the first time. That you're certainly uh, communicating your position very well. Uh, we could sit here for hours, and I could, you know, we, we could we could debate. Um, but I, I do think that you are doing doing. You're you're communicating where you're coming from. You're very consistent, and I like consistency. Here's my here's 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 an issue, not my issue, but here's an issue that has been raised with me. Uh, with your campaign specifically, uh, to kind of narrow it down a little bit. Um, And this is just mainly a uh, kind of a tactical type of thing. Um, You've never really run an office on your own, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And some of the arguments I've heard uh, that these candidates have made for themselves uh, is that their ability to run a large organization, their ability to run uh, the type of, as you said, Um, you know, $60 million million budget, Mm -hmm. Uh, I believe it's uh, something along the lines of uh, 350 ADAs that you'd have to supervise. Staff of over
1: 500, including administrative staff.
0: How do you sell your ability to kind of run such a, you know, large organization?
1: Sure. Uh, I mean, some of it comes from what we're doing right now in terms of of, of talking when you talk about being a clear communicator. That counts for so much, especially when you are um, building a team. Uh, I think the fact that I am sitting here in a space where I get to talk to you as a candidate who is building momentum, gaining a lot of attention, speaks to my ability to lead and manage. Uh, When we are are looking at recent elections, you can look at the campaigns of more traditional candidates and say, well, these are people that sort of waited their turn in line, they had political backing, they had supports in place when they they filed their candidacy, they had money in the bank, and there was a, a, a strategy around them doing this. When we look at our grassroots campaigns that have been, you know, coming to the forefront in these past few cycles, um, we're building something out of nothing. So this literally started as, you know, four women sitting around a breakfast table with no money, with no political connections. Um, and it has now grown into this massive operation where we have you know, over a dozen full-time paid staff. We have hundreds of volunteers knocking on doors, phone banking, text banking every day. But even uh, you know, to add to that, uh, the ability to build a movement, right? When you're talking about something that is volunteer-led, um, you have people that are working full-time jobs, taking time out of their days to invest into your campaign, and they're not going to do that if they don't think that this is viable. That they're not going to. That they're going to win. Um, and so you're creating something that people can really buy into and feel motivated to reach and hit certain metrics and goals, so that we're getting to where we need to be to win. Um, and then beyond that, seeing the way that we have garnered some incredible support uh, when we talk about this race and uh, endorsements and things like that. You know, I think endorsements are, are great when values align and, and they help in terms of organizing and. and Extending reach, but I think what it also speaks to is the fact that we have gotten folks from community-based organizations, whether they are, you know, advocating for our immigrant communities or for our formerly incarcerated folks, um, to other community-based organizations like Rockaway Revolution and, you know, One Queens Indivisible and um, all of these other great groups. But then we also have electives rallying around this. We have the chair of the Crimes, um, Victims, and Corrections Committee, Senator Sepulveda, backing what we're doing. The chair of the Health Committee, Senator Gustavo Rivera, backing what we're doing. Senator Ramos, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, obviously. Um, But, you know, what I've shown is the ability to build this massive, widespread operation on a shoestring budget um, in a very grassroots way uh, where we are are frontrunners in this race, literally in a, a span of six months building... Something massive out of nothing and that's no easy task and what we've done in the process is also a sweep approach that says we're we're gonna win and so our transition team is already being built we're already putting the steps and the pieces in place to be able to transition into that office and be effective and have the tools that we need to get there
0: I fully understand about um, the concept of representation Um. being important you know people want to have As you said earlier in this interview how much it meant to you uh, for someone that and again your words someone that looked like you someone that came from a similar background Mm -hmm. Um, and I know that uh, you know I'm I'm very if if you talk to Kate Walls uh, who I know you know very well uh, she knows how that I'm a traditionalist and in the sense that um, I'm a fair play type person I, I really like you know I have a diverse staff, but it happened organically, right? Mm-hmm. That's because that's the way I am. I, I like to give people, you know, the benefit of the doubt, but I also want, you know, the best people I can get. So I love that the diversity of my staff has been built by, you know, this, you know, I, I'll use the word again, uh, you know, it, it's, it's diverse.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's the ability to create culture,
0: Right, Right? which I
1: don't think has been something that has been very successful historically in our district attorney's offices because it's
0: just this homogeneous. Right. So the question question. I'm asking is that um, the existing staff that's there, Mm -hmm. a lot of their work has been criticized by a lot of people in this campaign. Uh, I happen to know that there are some people that are very good at their jobs in the current DA's office. So when you sit down, let's say on June 25th, you -hmm. emerge victorious. How are you going to determine, I'm sure you're going to have a lot of conversations with a lot of people, Mm -hmm. but how are you going to determine that you get the best staff? Yes.
1: So transition is is going to be a a heavy lift, right? Um, And it starts from a place of recognizing that when you go into that office, there are going to be three kinds of people generally. There are going to be the people who went in wanting to do good work, uh, still want to do good work and realize in some ways the system didn't allow them to do all the things that they wanted to do, and they're going to stay. There are going to be people that are sort of resistant to change, but they're going to come around, and they're going to stay. And then you're going to have a group of people that are just not going to be with it, right? They're not going to be with what we're trying to do, and they're not going to be around anymore. Um, but what we want to do is make sure that we come in saying, we want to do everything we can to retain you, And as long as you are working towards the things that we are working towards. But what you have to do to be able to get there is one, you need buy-in, and you need credible messengers. So what we are doing now is looking at places around the country where they've done these massive changes and seeing where their successes and failures were. One of the most successful things that these folks have done is come out and say, on day one, here is our policy in written form. These are the things that you will be expected to be practicing going forward. And here are your measures. These are the things that you will be rated on in your job you will have time to get up to speed to these, these things. We will have a full staff committed to retraining and supporting in these changes, and you will be valued and rewarded and, um, and welcomed for taking on these things. Uh, and, you know, really, again, finding people that are excited to do these things and uplifting them so that they, in turn, can be credible messages in place that help with the culture. And then when we have some of that transition taking place where some people leave and you're bringing in some new folks, um, you're naturally bringing in what we're seeing around the country, is you're naturally bringing in people whose values already align. So I talk about the fact that because of, of my background, where I came um, came from, you know, my parents grew up in housing projects, um, I grew up in a low-income community, I'm, I'm queer, I'm a Latina, um, and those aren't identity politics, it's more speaking about the intersectionality between what our, our cultures and our communities um, experience generationally. Uh, and you know, there's a reason why, because of my experiences and because of the way the office exists right now, that I became a public defender and not a prosecutor. But there are going to be lots of folks um, who have had similar experiences to me, for example, that will be excited to come into this office. You know, I spent time talking to both prosecutors in that office and, um, and public defenders in Queens who engage with the prosecutors in that office. And it's the same way as when I practice in Manhattan. There are plenty of prosecutors that, um, you know, I'm I'm happy to work with. They do good work. Um, They they mean well by our clients and our our communities. And they exist everywhere. And so, again, it's really about celebrating and uplifting those folks.
0: Well, I really enjoyed our conversation, and I I, uh, really appreciate coming in and coming to Rockaway. I know you've been here before, so you're no stranger to the peninsula. And uh, I know you had a bunch of events this weekend. Um, When... If people want to learn more about your campaign, if they want to donate, if they want to, you know, follow you, you know, on social media, where are the best places to go?
1: So the website is a great place if you want to make a donation or you want to volunteer for uh, knocking on doors, phone banking, text banking. that's um, wwwkaban F-O-R-Queens.com. And that's my Twitter handle, my Instagram handle, so you can find us
0: on, on social media as well. Thanks so much for coming in. I appreciate you. it. Thank you. I appreciate it.